from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Um, moving on to the next part, just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook. We're under people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter. So it's just kind of the automatic feed. If you just want to listen to us on Twitter, for some reason, you can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags so yeah no check them out check them out they have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections i'm a huge fan of their white teas uh they have a tea club that you can join but you know they've got green tea black tea white tea oolong that uh robios and herbal tea they've also got teaware so check out california tea house in the show notes tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know in a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. More than likely, you're at the middle of this show, part two. Now, this is the part where I talk to somebody whose name is not DB or Gretchen. And today, I'm talking to Megan Beals. Uh, Megan, can you maybe tell our audience a little bit about who you are? Yeah. Hi, I am an author uh, and sometimes illustrator, uh, mostly dealing with uh, cozy horror. So uh, horror that um, kind of embraces the uh, terrifying parts of life and just lives there because there's nothing else you can do. Um, and I am going to have a short story called Splinterbone out soon with an anthology uh edited by Francis Pai Ippolito and Mark Teppo called The Cozy Cosmic, and that should be out in October. Oh, awesome. And when it comes out, we'll definitely have, have links to that. Now, Wonderful. 
my understanding is that your uh, short story sort of focuses on pregnancy or a main character that's pregnant. Could you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, Splinterbone actually follows a new mother, uh, both through her pregnancy and into the first few months of having her baby um, at a point when she's feeling deeply isolated. Uh, She has really no support outside of her husband and he is not much help. There is a deep Mm -hmm. rift between them. He only has eyes for the baby and Beth as a new mother lets herself believe that that's okay. Uh, And, uh, They never reconcile this throughout the story. Beth pulls Mm. further into isolation, and in her struggle to keep it together, she starts to literally come apart. Her bones splinter with every moment that she feels she makes a misstep as a mother, and there is a creature haunting her house that tries to offer help, but she is too afraid of it to reach out until she really does not have a choice anymore. Uh, oh. Beth finds aid with this creature known as the Attic Mother, and, but it comes at the cost of her sense of self. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, and uh, I wrote the first draft in just an absolute haze when my uh, twins were around four months old, um, and a lot of the body horror of pregnancy was very fresh on my mind. Um, I'm fortunate to have an understanding husband who I can talk to about all of these things, uh, but the modern world is very isolating, especially for new mothers. And it was really easy to strip away the support system that I have to make Beth's experience feel so bleak. Um, You always kind of feel a little bit alien in your own body. You never really get enough sleep as a new mother. And you're on constant, like, high awareness for your kids. And the experience lends itself really, really well for horror. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. um, uh, One of the moments that kind of, like, uh, uh, inspired it. Um, I was having like this really bad pain in my ankle. Um, uh, and I was so scared that I was going to drop my daughter on the stairs at one point. And, uh, uh, with horror, the nice thing is that you can make any of those, uh, metaphors just actually real. You can have Beth actually have a splinter of bone work her, work its way out through the ankle. And then, um, yeah, she can uh, just deal with that and until a kindly and horrifying monster takes pity on her and lets her know that all new mothers have a moment of terror. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of a, a way of using the horrific to work through my own uh, my own experiences. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud. I have never been more afraid than the months before my daughters were born. Mm, and this, mm-hmm. this, this, and, and, and now you actually brought something out of me because at the time, you know, I, you know, I had something, I had, you know, someone to take care of. I had, I was so excited. Yeah. That, that something would go wrong. I don't think I've ever in my life been more afraid, but at the same time, more excited. And yeah, it's just, it's the definition of hor- horrific in certain ways. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're just caught in this, uh, uh, this dichotomy where like you are feeling everything so so much like all at one time one point it, it, exactly and, and I would never and I would never have thought of writing a story about that but it, it's brilliant because yeah you really do feel emotion so much more especially for an expecting mother that's just amazing thank you now yeah. it, it oh I'm sorry oh no go ahead now, it also seems like you know the the female body and the experience is a is a major aspect in at least this story, if not in your writing. Uh, can you maybe explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, I do try to cover that in a lot of different stories that I've written. Um, uh, um, and uh, it's it's kind of funny because I I write a lot about women who are monsters or women who are dealing with monsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently I was watching this um, actual play show called Dimension 20. Um, and uh, one of the players, uh, Emily Axford, was playing a character who was Little Red Riding Hood as a werewolf. And at one yeah. point, this like preteen very confidently tells the rest of the group, women can be either princesses or monsters. And I guess we know I'm not a princess. And then later when she was speaking to that, sentiment in the after show she mentioned how when you're really little you're told that you can be anything but as you get older your dreams start to get thinner 
Mm. And there's this point for women, I feel like it's usually around the teen years, but not for everyone, where being a woman suddenly becomes something very conspicuous. Um, I saw it recently when I was watching the Barbie movie, too, when Barbie went to the real world and she went from being just another Barbie to something to be looked at. And the discomfort that was on her face um, at suddenly being seen uh, in a way that she had no control over, it just felt so real. Um, There are like so many different pressures on how to do womanhood correctly that when you don't quite fit, you wonder if, well, maybe I'm something different. like, for instance, I'm fat. Most of my scars are on my face and my head. My skin is bumpy from eczema. And I'm completely comfortable with these things now at 38. But when you grow up and you hear, like, weird comments from people, uh, it takes some time before you really feel comfortable in your own skin. Um, and so and I some about, of us, it's more than 38 years, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad for you. Yeah, well, thank you. It's, you know, it's a work in process all all the time. Um, But yeah, uh, I I like to write about the monstrous femininity because it feels like there's a whole world of monstrous femmes that just want to be seen, that they want the permission to be something like a little abhorrent from the norm, but still loved. Like the uh, story that I'm working on right now uh, is a woman who is made of a hundred thousand spiders. And She's a very scary eldritch being, but she also loves picking flowers for her husband, and that's okay. It's pretty cozy. Yeah, that that, that sounds another great story. Thank you. And I don't know if you heard that, but Ralph the Rooster has approved. He he was very excited about hearing what you were saying. Ah, oh, thanks, Ralph. What a sweetheart. Yeah. Now, um. You have a background in fairy tales, right? How does that influence your work? Yeah, I do. Um, So uh, I really love like how clean the narrative of is of a fairy tale. Uh, In fairy tales, backgrounds, if they're given at all, are usually painted in such broad strokes that you're lucky if you know that there's a mountain in the distance. Um, The king doesn't need a name. He he wouldn't need a name at all. He's just the king. if there's uh, if there's magic, you just accept that the magic is there because Baba Yaga does not care if you think her skull lanterns are unrealistic. Trying to prick holes her narrative just means you're going to get eaten. Um, or, or her chicken house. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I like to try and take that philosophy when I write. I will try and make the story as real as it needs to be within the confines of the narrative. And anything outside that, plot holes or whatever, are just none of my business. Um, if someone wants to stand outside and say they can see all the string that I use to erect all of my paper scenery, then they're just standing in the wrong place to enjoy the thing that I'm building. And it's really freeing to understand that uh, all fiction has a little bit of fairy tale at its heart. Uh, because you're asking someone to believe in something that isn't true. And you're making it as real as you can for them. I also just really love witches. Witches are great. And when you put a witch in a story, you're never really sure what she's going to do. Yeah. (laughs) And and these stories have survived for centuries because they strike a chord somewhere. They do. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of, like, interesting parallels that you can read across across cultures as well. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I hadn't thought of this, but there is a simplistic beauty in fairy tales. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I love when you can kind of use the story to uh, uh, act as like a dialogue between you and the reader, um, and they're bringing in their own uh, uh, background and understanding, and then using that to to shade in all of the uh, pieces that you leave missing in your own. Yeah, excellent, yes. Now, you also said you were an artist, you know, what are maybe some other influences on both your physical art, but your, your writing? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I do a lot of like pen and ink, uh, uh, sketches and illustrations. Um, I really love comic books. Um, uh, especially the comics of Emily Carroll, who writes just incredible horror, uh, comic books. Um, 
and uh, I like to look at her for uh, inspiration when I'm trying to illustrate my own things. Um, same with Edward Gorey and uh, Tove Jensen, who wrote the uh, Moomin Troll books. Um, I also uh, really enjoy the movies of Hayao Miyazaki, um, like the Studio Ghibli films. Yes. And the way that he gives so much attention to the magic of everyday life. Uh, one of my friends in my writing group has described my work as if Miyazaki did horror. And Ooh. I'm going to carry that in my heart forever. Thank you, Sam. It means so much to me. <laughs> you know, that is a high compliment. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very, very sweet. Um, for the story Splinterbone specifically, um, I can point to uh, the works of uh, Carmen Maria Machado. Uh, her memoir, I was listening to it while I was actually editing the uh, the story to send in to uh, the Cozy Cosmic. And she writes just the most haunting short stories. Uh, another influence on short stories would be Shirley Jackson, because I just I feel like no one writes domestic horror like Shirley Jackson. It's very close Absolutely. and personal. Yeah, yeah. It just gets underneath your skin. Uh, she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I think I was shaking the first time I finished the lottery. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my husband and I will like, anytime something like really freaks us out, he like references putting a rock in the pocket and just like, yeah, we need to go. <laughs> and, and I knew how it was going to end and it's still, yeah. 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 It, yeah, it, Reading Shirley Jackson, like, it leaves you different when you're done. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, this is kind of our, our sort of signature question. So we, we ask everybody, and absolutely, there is no wrong answer on this. But if you could be in charge of any artistic project, any medium, you don't have to worry about money, you don't have to worry about trademarks, what would your dream project be? This is a super fun question. I, I really enjoyed thinking about this one. Um, are you uh, familiar with uh, Meow Wolf or the Meow Wolf Collective? The name is ringing bells. Okay. They they have like a couple of installations uh, all across the U.S. Uh, started with the one in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, yes. Gretchen, our, our co-host, just returned from there a couple of weeks ago. Thank oh, that's super cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they the, the way that they have like these big art installations that are permanent um, and it usually ends up being like things that you can walk through they're interactive they're stuff that like mm -hmm. encourages play um and uh there's like hidden doors and like i saw one one thing where like somebody like uh tumbled through a uh uh washing machine to like find a whole other room and other world on the other side oh, um wow. and i would love to like take on a project like that with my writing group um just kind of like build our own haunted house i would love to just give them free reign to see like whatever they want to come up with for like different rooms um just give them all the means to haunt a place to their heart's content and see what incredible narratives they come up with um and then like afterwards uh open it to the public maybe make like a spooky community center in the basement to encourage other uh writing and crafting and um, it would also just give me a great excuse for all, collecting all the weird curios that I like to collect and making dolls. And instead of like, well, my current excuse is just to have them, but yeah, uh, it would also be fun to share. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's an amazing answer. I I, I would love to go there. Nice, yeah, it would be it would be quite an undertaking. So we'll definitely want to have you back on the show, and and really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, but thank you. For the people who are listening, where would be the best way to get a hold of, get your current projects, but your future projects? Um, so I have a website. Uh, it's MeganLeeBeals.com, and sounds like you guys are going to be able to link that. Um, and the uh, novella that I'm working on right now to uh, put together the stories for this uh, woman who's made of so many spiders Um I'm going to try and uh, get that out uh, sometime soon, and we'll I'll, I'll be uh, updating my website about that. Awesome. And, yeah, and then, of course, uh, 
look for the Cozy Cosmic in October because I will have a story in there. Yeah, well, definitely. I I mean, I had already planned on buying a copy, but now I am completely sold. Ah, oh, wonderful. <laughs> That's great to hear. Like I said, thank you so much and hope to have you on the show again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is fun. In Legacy Door, a lurker from space casts a shadow over time. We opened our eyes upon the human world. We found ourselves lying on an especially yielding bed in a room displaying scattered relics of their shallow past, tied together by more recently produced items meant to blend with the relics. Typical. A sensitive journalist dreams of unknown lives. It seems like every time I close my eyes, they get stronger. I can't even say the last time I had a normal sleep, let alone a dreamless one. An outspoken lawyer defends the suspect in an unspeakable crime. And that client was Jonathan Strauss, held for the murder of his daughter Abigail and her companion Harrison Reese. And a stalwart investigator tries to drag it all into the light. Some of the Reeses and the Strausses have been involved with something that seems to include an obsession with bloodlines and longevity for at least decades. Legacy Door is a weekly cosmic horror mystery podcast. An ensemble of actors tell a story, also available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Available now. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50, hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80, guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes, get a glary. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. Dave and DB and Gretchen go to the movies. Hopefully next week we'll have a real theme song. Yeah, no, my computer just crashed. So. Oh no! Are you? I had to. I had to find my phone, and now I'm on my phone in a different part of my yard. <laughs> okay. Um. So the middle part, I'll send you two recordings, but the middle part, uh, I'm gonna suggest that the two we go with uh Megan Beals. Okay. All right. Sounds good. We'll do that. Okay. Okay. And if you want to do a little promo part on Add It for, she's basically doing body horror from a female perspective.
Okay. Awesome. Okay. Um, House. All right. Are we recording yet? Yeah. Uh, should be. Okay. It says it's recording. All right. Hey, everyone. We are back. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you had a good break there. Anyway, uh, so today we're talking about the 1985-1986 movie House. Dave Gretchen, can you run us through the basics of it while my computer reboots? <laughs> Yeah, it's um. So this is a 1986 um, horror comedy um, directed by Steve Miner. Um, apparently, it was a, originally a, a screenplay by Ethan Wiley and Fred Decker. I, I don't really know much about Wiley, but Decker, I've seen him in doing other scripts in the past. Sure. Um, but it's a haunted house story, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, oh, I'm sorry. No, you have the 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 greatest American hero um, is um, goes back to his family home after a um, the tragic uh, demise of his aunt, and we find in the story process that like his son had mysteriously disappeared or was kidnapped, um, yeah. which caused his marriage to a uh, very famous actress to to fail. And yeah. he's he's a famous American horror writer, I believe. Yeah, he's a, a Vietnam vet and a, um, a horror writer. His name is Roger Cobb. Yes. Roger Cobb. Yeah, Not yeah. just the greatest American hero. Yeah, yeah. So the I, I was American say horror that, writer. Yeah, I was going to say that Perry Mason's secretary has a kid, and he grows up to become a superhero. And then he goes and he lives in this house next to the guy that sits in the bar on Cheers. And <laughs> right. Out that that the bailiff from Night Court got killed in Vietnam and is coming back to his house. Yeah, yeah, I, that that covers it. Yeah, I should have probably <laughs> warned you spoilers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie came out in 1986, y'all. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if, if you didn't see it on VHS or on cable, you, you, you're you probably a millennial or a, a Zoomer. Yeah. And, 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 and I think the big seller, one of the big sellers of this, besides the fact that it's a decent enough movie. Yeah. The picture that was on the VHS box tape of the yeah. disembodied, you know, hand pushing the like doorbell mummy hand with like veins and meats and bones sticking which out which we never it, saw it never yeah. actually no. appeared anywhere which was no. i think i remember as a kid i was like um okay but what i love about this film is mm -hmm. the monsters oh my oh, yeah. god they are so glorious this is like like practical effects in the most yep. beautifully master yep. class way. Every oh, yeah. single monster in this was awesome. The, 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 they call him like the war demon, but essentially like, um, his friends, uh, reanimated corpse, I guess. Big yeah. Ben. Uh, what's that? Big Ben. Yeah. Big Ben. So big Ben is an 18-foot puppet that's controlled by, like, 13 people. Yeah. I didn't realize that until somebody told me. Isn't that wild? I, always I, I thought assumed that it was, was the actor. Um, what, I always thought that was the actor as well, and I didn't realize. I thought yeah. it was just forced perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had no idea that that was actually, like, um, that was actually a puppet, which was incredible. Like, yeah. just beautiful. And Richard Maul, man, eating up every single moment he's on there. It takes a really ding-ding long time to get to him. But once we get to him, yeah. he's magic. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I'm going to say one of the things why this movie works mm -hmm. is that you do have, you know, George Wendt, Richard Maul, uh, you know, uh, William Katz. Mm -hmm. They all have timing. They have this comedic timing. If yeah. the timing was not right, this movie wouldn't have worked. Yeah, and it's also a... Well, that's Decker's deal. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to say, I, I believe it's PG. Is it PG or PG-13? 
I think it was a soft R. Oh, because I'm like, there's I, no. I new- think I think it came out originally as a as a, an R. Okay, because I'm I'm like I don't think there's any nudity in it. There's like little to no swearing. Um, gore is almost non-existent, and it's like, it's 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 a family horror comedy. It's like there's nothing. I don't know. I, I, I feel like my kids would be bored watching it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think this was at a time where there was kind of a question on, you know, exactly what was an R or a PG movie, but I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure, sure, sure it was an R. Because of the violence of war and stuff like that. And then like yeah. the, the idea of like somebody is hanging, committing suicide and things like that. Like those I, I, kind of things ch- are child endangerment. Yeah. 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 Man, Star Wars has but, all that and is a PG. Well, yeah. I was going to say earlier about Decker, the reason why this film works in so many ways is because mm-hmm. Decker is like a comedian horror writer. Um, yeah. He did, uh, what is it? Night of the Creeps, I think. I believe yeah. you're right. Yeah, he did Night of the Creeps, Monster Squad, and then he also co-wrote Ro- Robocop 3 with Frank Miller. So he's kind of got his element in um, horror comedy. So I feel like he kind of wraps this, he wraps that screenplay into like making it seem, make it, making it make sense. Yeah. Yes, and, and my understanding, that was the second draft. Yeah. Because originally, I think um, Ethan Wiley, I think, wanted it to be super serious or a minor did. A, a lot darker. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And they also, I think, I mean, we talked about, you know, William Cat and George Lynch, but they, they got really lucky with the cast, including, and I didn't recognize him again until someone pointed it out, but Stephen Williams from 21 Jump Street, the, the TV show, and X and X-Files, is mm-hmm. the African-American cop that comes up. Yeah, I noticed that too. The one who's like, "Oh, you're that famous screenwriter, or yeah. you're that famous book writer." Well, okay, and like they don't look any further in the house. I'm like, that that gets you off from a ticket. That's great. Yeah. And, and uh, Mindy Sterling is one of the obsessed fans, and she becomes uh, Doctor Evil's girlfriend in the Austin Power movies. Yes, okay. I saw that too. So okay. yeah, no, they had a, a incredible uh, cast. Kind of a wild, like, mix mash of people, too, right? I mean, they're yeah. not all, like, like high-class celebrities, but they're, like, yeah. um, you know, like, a, like a, I don't know, like, not B, is that B-listers? Is that what it would be? B, yeah. maybe C. Yeah. Yeah. So One of the things I should have explained when I, earlier when I said about talking about Fred Decker, um, I realized that his original script for this was actually serious, even though he's a comedy horror writer. And then okay. um, the other the other writer, um, Wiley, is the one I th- and I think made it made more funny kind of thing. Yeah. Like when he rewrote the script and stuff. Because Decker also was like he was like super inspired by Twilight Zone the movie, and you could totally see that in this, right? Yeah, my my understanding is that's what gave him the. In fact. The original script, I understand, was going to be in an anthology. Oh, was it? Okay. Cool. But yeah, I, I I might be confusing things, but yes, he was definitely inspired by by Twilight Zone. So I'm assuming this was a shorter film that got stretched out into a longer film. Well, I think that this was an idea <laughs> they were toying with. Originally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because oh, I did you like... guys know though that Kane Hodder was the stunt coordinator for this film? Oh, that's cool. Who went on later I, to be Jason Voorhees? I yeah. I knew he was involved, but I didn't know what. Yeah, he was a because that was kind of his gig before when he became um, Jason was that he was like a stunt guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah. This this movie it it it's it's as as you said earlier, Gretchen. It's it's a haunted house. Or did I you love say it. That, Dave? I love I a good haunted house story. Yeah, it's 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 pretty much your basic haunted house story. It because the Evil Dead is like a really well done haunted house story. It's like 
it always makes me go, oh, this is kind of like Evil Dead here, and oh, this is kind of like Evil Dead here. And other times, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like Jacob's Ladder here. Oh, this is kind of like Jacob's Ladder here. And I'm like, well, Jacob's Ladder isn't about a haunted house. It's about a haunted mind. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and in the 80s, you know, with things like, you know, Ghostbusters, but, you know, Evil Dead, ghosts didn't have to be your granddad's ghost anymore. No. True. They could yeah. be these things that had form and demonic and and can physically hurt you that just not scare you mm-hmm. along with yeah. the same like allegory for like um post-traumatic stress disorder um clearly like these are you could see these as like this movie is like a because there's like obvious moments of where we're like this is ptsd everybody mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, yeah. for the most part, I feel like um, there's some tastefully done aspects that were showing like how like Cobb couldn't kind of keep his shit together because he was he needed need some help, need some therapy. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But I'm and, also and glad they didn't. The story. You could have taken the same story and gone yeah. completely different. It yeah, some of those sets, though, those were oh, not. No, if they wrote it, it, they could have written it differently, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And. The 80s was an interesting time in how we looked back at the Vietnam War, where, you know, you have, you have, you know, First Blood, which is people saying people were messed up because of that. But then Rambo 2 comes back and says, oh, well, basically we won it. You know, you have Platoon, you have character development, like Magnum being, you know, a Vietnam vet. Yeah. And, and, if you take out all the comedy stuff and and the ghost stuff, there's hidden, I think, some very serious things about how, what the veterans went through when they came back. Absolutely, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, and remember that his complaints, um, Cobb's complaint at the beginning of the movie is that he's trying to write a book about his experience of Vietnam, but nobody, none of his writer readers want or are interested in it. They're more interested yeah. in his horror stories. Yeah. Which was very indicative of the time is that oftentimes vets would, um, not to be taking this on a downer note, but like oftentimes veterans would be um, met with like, you know, well, you know, you keep your story to yourself. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it brings out a good point. The audience wanted a horror story, but wasn't real. Right. That, you know, that, that you know, what happened to Big Ben was horrific mm-hmm. but the audience want the audience ta- uh, Cobb's audience wants a story about mm-hmm. ghosts or vampires right. not about yeah. what really not the inhumanity that man does to man and that's yeah. just thrown out and that's something deep for what's basically a comedy right <laughs> yes yes yeah. No, and they go into the dynamics of like loss of a child and uh, um, I guess the weight that that puts on a marriage, absolutely uh, suicide in a family. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of kind of dark themes here. Um, when it comes to like how he's treated for being a famous writer, I think that's so funny. Yeah. Like. No one recognizes a famous writer unless they're at a book signing. <laughs> but apparently, out of the police officers in this city, they know who Roger Cobb is. And, yeah, and I, I think this was a satire on celebrities in Los Angeles. Oh, totally. Gotcha. Where, where, you know, even the minus little thing can make you this big following in L.A. Or at least that's the trope. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like being a podcaster, right? (laughs) I wonder who sells more books, Sutter Kane or Roger Cobb? (laughs) I guess Sutter Kane, based on his fans, are grabbing hatchets and stuff. (laughs) Me too, yeah. But did Sutter Kane get off of murdering this demonic ex-wife zombie witch thing? 
Which I love that moment, by the way. That was one of the more funny like moments is like he puts his wife's ex-wife or he thinks this is his ex-wife's body in this closet. And he's like, it's kind of a telltale heart moment where he's like talking to the officers and he keeps looking over at it. Yeah, I just I love that. And that was one of the moments where it was like the other officer was like, oh, well, this is Roger Cobb. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. It's so good. They're just so good. And I have to say, I love the sequel to this, even though it was like basically a spiritual sequel. They're nothing yeah. to do with each other story wise. Yeah. These films are a lot of fun. Um, when we get to the fourth one, eh, that oh, was stupid. I just found out today that there was a fourth one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I watched it on YouTube just for like giggles and it wasn't even like funny. It wasn't, it wasn't even good enough to be like, this is a good bad film. No, it was just yeah. like okay. just not good. To be honest, I've only seen this one. Oh, you okay. should see the second one. You would love it. It's, it's I love the title. Adorable. Yeah. yeah. I love the title, the second story. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. Uh, it's so sweet and very it's almost like it is to me that one is more of a science fiction edge. It's yeah, it, it has like some horror element to scene. it. Yeah. But it's 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 like fantasy and science fiction and horror all kind of rolled together, kind of like I don't know. Uh, it's it's like weird fiction is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me of an episode of Amazing Stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, just like this episode, like the just like this episode, just like this um, this particular the first one has mm-hmm. that very twilight zone kind of feel to it. It's yeah. a little bit weird science, yeah. you know, there's that, that kind of energy to it. Like it's definitely in that vibe, but this one has like tonally as more fantastical, whereas this one is more phasmagorical. Yes. Okay. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. I, I would definitely classify this movie as phasmagorical. Thank you. Uh, this 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 movie it's the house is beautiful the house is beautiful it's like mm. that house in uh in hellraiser phew, that house is garbage compared to this house <laughs> agreed <laughs> no it's a gorgeous house with gorgeous furniture and it's so fun that horror can take place there and just these these like brutal things will happen and it's it's like oh man this is a nice house <laughs> And, yeah. and that's a sign of good writing when you can make a place or a setting a character. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Or or, or even a character personality. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely, definitely say the house has more personality in the second film. David, do yourself yeah. a favor. Watch that film. It's so much fun. Okay. I will have to. Yeah. There's but a little puppy worm guy that's in there that's like, you just want to like be your best bud, little puppy worm. Okay. The house has more uh, personality than Roger Cobb. True uh, story. That uh, that character is just so like makes weird choices, and it's it's like, well, I guess I guess it's because he's writing and he hasn't slept well that he's making these terrible choices, um, and. You know, he's acting bizarre and he's not doing well and people around him are worried about him. Of course, he's dealing with a haunted house. So there's that comedic element of like, oh, got to keep up appearances while dealing with a haunted house. But it's. It's kind of a weird, goofy movie. It's it's a fun movie. It's it's like, I, I don't know, I, I think it's it's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Two is a better movie, though, so, you know, watch two and then watch one. They have nothing related. The closest thing they have related between one and two is that... There's a house. Oh, oh, no. Oh, that's two things. Two things. Okay. So the guy who played Cliff Clavin on Cheers is in two, playing a repairman, and, like, kind of like a... Almost like... He's he's playing a character that's like Dan Aykroyd in real life, and uh, oh, you're in, right! In I totally fir- forgot that. Yeah, and in the first movie, you have George Went just as like the 
pizza and beer loving bachelor neighbor and you know the witness to the the, the house well he also kind of helps him too um yeah. at some when he finally starts to believe him and he's not like oh like calling his wife on him yeah 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 which i thought that was like a total dick move to be honest i was all really really i don't know i don't know if i was worried about my my uh my neighbor committing suicide i might try yeah but do you think he really was worried about him or was it just like a i mean opportunistic i don't know i have a really hard time because he didn't like try and like connect with the wife really in any weird way or anything to my knowledge and he didn't try to like he didn't then like go and call tabloids or the you know, he, he called the police and he called uh, Roger Cobb's wife. So I think he he's, he's good intentioned. And then he brought beer and pizza over just to, like, watch him and make sure things were OK. And I, I think he was just trying to be a good guy. That's good. Yeah. And, and one of the things I think and I think they really pushed this kind of in the commercials, but they had to clear it out. But I'm trying to go off 30 year, 40 years ago. Uh-huh. But where timing is when George Wentz's character is just bad mouthing the aunt, and he goes, oh, yeah. she was my aunt, but she had a heart of gold. <laughs> that, that, I think oh, I know, that, right? He's like that time. crazy hag. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, no, that's that's one of my favorite bits in this. But yeah, yeah, there's 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 like the weird babysitting scene that like kind of comes out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. but it adds it adds an element of like this house is messed up and babies get kidnapped i mean kids get kidnapped here so but yeah yeah and yeah, uh, and, yeah you, you've got to put a, a degree of your disbelief away anytime you watch any movie like that but yeah oh certainly certainly and you know, I want to say it's a good-looking movie. The sets yes. look great. Uh, the the monsters look really good. I think they're supposed to look scarier, but I mean, it was 1985 when this movie was filmed, and I mean, they use puppets. It's kind of hard sometimes to make puppets look scary, especially in 1985. <laughs> I think if if the movie was made a couple years later, it would be maybe a little bit scarier. And if you made it a couple years later, it would look terrible because of the CGI. But yeah, no, I I, I think for when the movie was made, it it was still pretty good looking. So yeah, and, and I think the '80s were a sort of sweet spot where they were willing to make it movies like Ghostbusters and the Monster Squad mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. if it had been the 90s or later or the 70s it would have been much more of a hardcore if that make, even if there was a comic uh, comedic side I think they would have felt that had to be a more scary movie yeah more, yeah a little bit more violent uh, yeah. a bit more exploitive yeah more like a I don't know, traditional horror movie. That's such a good <laughs> sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird spot. It's a weird sweet spot, too, because it's like it can be edited just a little bit here and there and probably be safe for an airline flight. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, yeah to maybe take out some of the swear words and, you know, yeah. and, and then just, like, edit it to the way that the aunt died. You know, not that she hung herself. <laughs> we can't play this in Catholic countries, folks. <laughs> but yeah, no, great movie. I want to recommend it um, for a nostalgia watch if you watched it when you were a kid. Uh, if you haven't seen it before, uh, it's it's available. Uh, where did you guys watch it? Um, on uh, It's on Amazon, I think. Okay. Or do you mean originally? Oh no, no, I mean like uh, for this for this viewing, yeah. It's, oh, you, I, you watched it's, it I watched it on um, Amazon. Okay. Yeah, I think it was Amazon too. It was... All right, I, I watched it on Vudu, I believe. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. So that one is that one. Uh, Dave, do you know what we're talking about next week? I know what movie we're talking about, but I don't know what Lovecraftian topic. I do. All right. Oh, all right. Gretchen, what Lovecraftian topic are we talking about next week? I don't know what it is, but Tico Tico Toco. Oh, the Chocho. The Chocho people. Chocho and the hunger. Oh, huh. That works. (laughs) Chocho works in... Chocho works themselves into a lot of things, including at least one SNL sketch that I'm aware of. Oh, interesting. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> and I believe we are talking about a movie by the man who did Train Spotting. Okay. That would be Sunshine. Oh, I thought we were doing The Hunger. Hang on. Oh, we're doing the hunger. Excuse oh me. yeah, it's um, yep. it says sunshine is a few few weeks out. Sorry. Oh, never yeah. mind. Then we're doing the hunger. Yeah, yeah. With David Bowie. <laughs> I failed. I failed. I failed both of them. It's That's all right. okay. I'm gonna blame it on test anxiety. There you uh, go. All right. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you so much. Check out the show notes to find out what we're up to and where 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 we're at and what's going on. You can find all kinds of great deals from all of our sponsors, not just the ones that we list on the show, but some that are just in the show notes. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram. That's really much, pretty much it right now these days. Uh, we're on X, but I haven't looked at that since What's-His-Name bought it, and I don't even care. I wasn't that big into it before. And yeah. we are also on the YouTubes, especially these episodes where... It's the three of us and not just some person talking about some short fiction. All right. Thank you again, once again, everyone. And we will see you next time. Have yourself a good evening. I uh, hope you're having fun on your commute. Uh, hope hope dinner's going well while you're cooking or, you know, don't run over anything in the yard while you're mowing that lawn. Okay. Yes. Have a good one, everyone. What's that, Steve? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just agreeing on the... Um... Uh, don't run over things while you're mowing (laughs) especially yourself all right uh have a good one stay squiggly and keep it weird and we will see you later everyone and goodbye bye bye everybody that was a good episode even yeah i'm sorry you had computer fails oh yeah i know this computer's garbage i need to replace it (laughs) (laughs) okay so i'm going to send you this in two parts and then I will send you uh, Megan Beals and uh, Derek uh, C. Derek uh, Miller's um, uh, interview. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, you All two right, have a good buddy. one, and I'll contact you uh, definitely next Thursday. But yeah, if there's anything going on or anything we need to talk about, I'll send out a message. And I'll just put it out in the weekend over the uh for on the con. All right. Cool. All right. All right. Bye everyone. Bye guys. Have a good Bye. weekend. Bye. You as well. Bye. Bye.